Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. In today's show, I am joined by authors Heidi Goody and Ian Grant. Heidi and Ian have co-written the Clovenhoof series of books, the first book of which I've just finished. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and it can be described as a mixture of, I would say, contemporary fantasy, satire and comedy. One of those books, in fact, you find yourself laughing out loud while others question your sanity. Hello and welcome to the show, Heidi and Ian. Thank you. Hi, Hi there. So this is a first for our show here because we, we've got three people on the show. We don't normally have three. It's normally two. Delicate balancing act. Very much so. So thank you both for coming on to the show. It's great to have you both on. How have things been? Well, we've, we've kept busy. We've been very busy, in fact. So, uh, yeah, lockdown or no lockdown, the writing still happens. It does. Excellent stuff. It does. Yeah, good. So before we talk about your career, both your careers as authors, could you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and your journey and what you did before and how you, how you became authors? And, you know, I don't know who wants to go first. Um, Heidi always tells this story, I think. Um, <laughs> she remembers it better than me. Uh, okay. So, Heidi. Well, personally, um, my writing journey started way back when. I've, I feel like I've always written things. Um, but then, as so many women will, will understand, and some men too, that the family thing gets in the way and um, can creep your style for quite a while. So I, I didn't really start taking it as seriously as I should have done until um, the early 2000s, perhaps. Yeah. And I joined in... 2010, I'm fairly sure it was 2010, Birmingham Writers Group, um, which is just a fantastic writers group, actually. And, and, you, and you, both live, you both live in Birmingham? Well, I live outside of Birmingham. Ian lives yeah. in South Birmingham. Birmingham. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we met there. Um, and uh, so aside from being a great development opportunity for me, the writers group was really important to me. Um, it's where I met Ian as well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure Ian has his own um, yeah, story. Well, so, um, <clears throat> I mean, um, like everyone who, uh, you know, is a writer, you, you always start off doing something else first. Um, obviously, you know, we, we have proper jobs, uh, writers do, and, and writing often happens on the side. Um, yeah. So um, much of my life I've either worked in IT or later on uh, became a school teacher. Um, and it was whilst working as a school teacher in, in Birmingham that I too joined the Birmingham Writers Group. I mean, I think I've been like, like, like everybody, every, every child in the country has at some point said, I am going to write a book and then they'll draw a pretty cover and I'll start writing on the inside. So everyone started a novel at some point. Um, but you know, it's one of those hobbies that I've always come back to time and again. And again, it would probably be in the late nineties, early two thousands that I started, you know, trying to take it seriously. Um, I, I genuinely have lost count of the number of novels I part or you know uh, completely written that, that are entirely unpublishable. Um, but in yes, 2010, 2000, I met Heidi at Birmingham Writers Group, um, yeah. a place where we go and we share writing and get criticism and feedback and a great bunch of people. And we did a workshop on collaborative writing, um, on writing together with other people. And we, we looked at like, sharing ideas and we wrote some things together. But it was a fun exercise. I think most of us thought nothing further of it. Um, but then either a few days later or maybe a week later, you emailed me, didn't you, Heidi? 
Well, I, I can remember that the person that, that ran the workshop said at the end, who here wants to go ahead and do some collaborative writing? And I can remember the two of us practically bouncing in our seats and nobody else was. Yeah. So, yes, I emailed Ian and I said, do you want to write something together? And it was actually quite a difficult email to write because the fear of rejection was quite strong. I I, I always think that, that Ian is a better writer than me. I did then and I do now. And, and so I, I I had that imposter syndrome thing going on. And and the fear of, of him saying no was, was uh, it was very high in my mind. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. So it collabor- was, collaborative writing, you're, you're obviously writing together. Um. How does that work? <laughs> um, <laughs> we get asked that question so much. And obviously, number one, we don't, we don't sit side by side um, at a keyboard typing um, you know, individual letters uh, each. Uh, it's probably this is the point where we point out that although Heidi and I are married, we're not married to each other. So we do work, <laughs> live, in our, live and work in our own separate houses. Um, as for collaborative writing, we've tried a number of different ways, haven't we, Heidi? Uh, yes, I don't think there's a single way we haven't tried, actually. The, yeah. um, the, the, the one that we started off with, and we do quite often go back to this, mm. is uh, where we plot and write in chapters. And the, the, the way that we will do it is we will work out what's going to be in a chapter. And we do that working together with a piece of paper quite often, or, or actually yeah. we can do it remotely now that, COVID has made things difficult. So you'll just talk talk to each other with, about ideas? Yeah, so we capture the ideas for, for a, a number of chapters perhaps, but then one of us will go away and write the synopsis for that chapter, then yep. give it to the other one to write, and then we swap back again for editing. So when we do that, we can obviously work on two chapters at a time um, yes, and, of and romp through a book that way. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Well, well that's interesting with something like Clovenhoof, for example. Um, so there, are, I think there's 12 chapters in that book, and we each wrote six of them. But I genuinely would have to say now, I don't know which of us wrote which ones. Oh, really? Yeah. The, things do blend and merge to a degree. Yeah, mm. I have to say, having read the book and thoroughly enjoyed it, um, it wasn't evident that you know each chapter was written by somebody different, and I guess then why would it be? Yes, I want it to be like that. It was just it flowed as a book, but I, I just I just like the way the um, there were different sort of subjects coming through, different ways of telling things, the humour, the satire. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was really good because I suppose because th- that book Clovenhoof, in which Satan loses his job and has to move to Birmingham in England. Um, it obviously it was a starting point for us, and in terms of its themes, certainly reviewers have pointed out, kindly or unkindly, its vague similarity to, say, Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Um, and uh, which was not the intention, but you know, it's nice if people think that we, you know, come close to writing what they've written. Um, but obviously, with a book like Good Omens, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, they each took a separate set of characters. And so I think it would be uh, Terry who wrote most of the chapters involving the children. Uh, and then Neil would take a bunch of other characters and he would write those strands. So they'd be writing separate parallel stories, um, whereas we've not necessarily gone for that model at all. Yeah. So for, for listeners who would like to find out a bit more about Cloverhoof, can you just give us a very brief a summary of what the book's about? Uh, Cloverhoof is Satan. 
he's made redundant from hell and sent to live in the Midlands um, in, a, in a suburban, deliberately um, suburban place. We chose Sutton Coldfield, which if you are local to the Midlands, you'll recognise as being the slightly posh end of Birmingham. In, in fact, it doesn't like to be associated. The main reason that we chose Sutton Coldfield initially is because it's halfway between our houses. So it seemed like a, a, good, a good a good choice, but but actually it, it plays it plays well into the um, some of the popular myths that exist in the Midlands. Yeah. So we because we put our main character Satan Cloverhill. He ends up in a house share with um, Ben, who runs a local bookshop, and Neris, who works at a job agency. She's a she's something of a of a man eating go getter kind of character and those three characters uh Clovenhoof, ben and neris the book and the books that follow um of which there's now i think nine or ten um principally follows them and their adventures usually with Clovenhoof's long-suffering human neighbors having to put up with his japes and uh, antics really uh, um, I, I must admit, must admit, I I, I started feeling. So, and I, I say I've only read the first book, but I did actually start feeling a little bit sorry for him. For Clovenhoof. Yeah. Was that intentional? I, I think there's this um, element within comedy fiction, this kind of fish out of water story, which is exactly what this is. Uh, it's Satan being dumped in suburbia um, and having to deal with, I suppose, the foolishness and silliness of our very petty everyday lives. Um, and he is a has-been, um, you know, he, he was once a, the almighty prince of darkness and now essentially he's an unwilling retiree living the quiet life in a quiet corner of, um, of you know, of, of the city. Um, and, and I think that that is part of our attraction to him as a character is the idea that he, uh, he can look at the world it, around us um, with, with a very critical eye um, and and very judgmental eye and and just despair at, at our silliness as a yeah. society. He, he's turned into something of an anti-hero as we've taken him through some of the other books, yeah. and um, we, we've actually got a, a Facebook group, and some of the people on the Facebook group have designed T-shirts saying, "What would Clovenhoof do?" And, and oh, really? Yes, which is which is just marvelous. That sounds we, great. The other thing I liked was, was heaven where it had become very corporate with mission statements and things like that. <laughs> I, I found that quite that, – whose idea was that? Oh, that, that's a good question um, because with Clovenhoof, and it's, it's the kind of thing we like to come back to in, in several of our books, is a lot of um, office-based, bureaucratic-based kind of scenes and humour. Um, and there's a scene in Clovenhoof where Clovenhoof has his performance management review, his appraisal um, – in which he's failed to meet all of his targets, basically, and he gets told off for not doing his job, even though he feels, you know, he's tried really hard. Um, yeah. And I seem to recall that um, all of my colleagues, teachers, who had read the book, kind of went, you wrote that, Ian, didn't you? You can tell that's a teacher writing that. And I think all of Heidi's colleagues, um, working in a more corporate environment, thought she had written it. Um, yeah. And actually having fun with the silliness and the pettiness and the bureaucracy of the corporate environment, the workplace and the rules and, and the culture of it is something we both very much enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought it worked really well. 
Um, so you've done the Clovenhoof books together, and, and I guess you, you're still going to continue doing that. Yes, we've we've been back to Clovenhoof and and his friends um, for I think nine novels. And oh, nine novels, yeah. Nine novels yeah. and two series of novellas now. The um, the most recent set of novellas we we felt we had to write these. They just had to happen because uh, when we when we went into the first lockdown, uh, because of our antihero Clovenhoof, he's such a good way to explore what's going on in the world. We 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 just needed to give the world the um, what would Clovenhoof do. So we've written a series of novellas called the Isolation Chronicles, and the the proceeds from all of those have gone to um, the food bank. The, the Trussell Trust. So we've we've raised quite a lot of money now, I think. Oh, that's marvellous stuff. Yeah. And sorry, what trust was that? The Trussell Trust. They run the food trust. banks. Yeah. yeah, across the country. So we, we and we've been very pleased that um, our readers have raised. You know, and they have, the readers have themselves raised several thousand pounds for the Trussell Trust. That's been really wonderful. Um, yeah. And I think in this kind of situation where people are stockpiling toilet paper or, you know, trying to bend the rules or, or all those different things, you know, there's, there's always uh, ample room for, for human entertainment. Because, um, of course, we're in, you know, without being bleak, we're, we're in quite difficult and trying times and diseases yeah. themselves and pandemics are not funny. But how we behave in times of adversity, I, th- I think that's been a very rich theme of humour and very enjoyable. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and, and these books are still for sale and the proceeds are still going to the, the food bank. Yes. Correct. The Isolation Chronicles, yeah. Well, what I'll do, I'll put all that on the show notes. So if there's any listeners out there that uh, fancy buying some of these books, they can do, and they know that the, the money's going to go to a good cause. So as well as your um, working together, you both work as separate authors as well, don't you? Not recently. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like it feels like we're we're um, we're we're part of a brand now. We we right. we've even reworked some of our older material, our solo material, to to fit the Heidi and Ian brand uh, because yeah. it's it's working well for us. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's we do you know we, we we do are inspired to do our own writing and we do enjoy doing our own writing um and yet you know our, our readers very much enjoy whatever it is that you know happens together uh, however it works so, you know being the greater than the sum of its parts um we do find that we each get to lead the way sometimes so um you know so sometimes uh each was going so for instance actually i think it was two years ago both of us um this isn't the normal way writers work but both of us uh, we're inspired to write novels based on dreams. Um, I had a dream in which Christmas elves, uh, evil Christmas elves, invaded my bedroom. And I recall Heidi had uh, a dream in which people were selling off parts of their brain, uh, not the physical brain, but the, the thinking space um, yeah. to companies. Um, and we both ended up writing novels based on those dreams. Um, uh, I saw the Candy Canes and Buckets of Blood, which was an evil elf uh, horror comedy and Japlink based on Heidi's dream. Um, we seem to have completely lost you, Bob. Well, uh, I'm, I'm interested in how uh, you can subcontract out your parts of your brain for other people to use. <laughs> I think I think that's a fascinating concept. Uh, yeah, it's a science fiction novel. We comedy science fiction. We you'll yeah. have noticed that all of our novels are comedy, um, but yeah. we've written across various genres. But the the idea that we wanted to explore there, and it doesn't seem as though it would be this far in the future, um, where where if you imagine that brain implants are likely to become a, a real thing, it, it yeah. certainly 
things are headed in that way, that, that we might collectively become part of a, of a processing um, effort in the world. Yeah. So, uh, so, so that, that's where we started. And obviously we took it in the, in the direction of a giant corporation that would do really bad things with our brains. Um, but somebody slips through the net, wakes up to recover her full brain capacity. And um, yeah, the story mm-hmm. kicks off there. And I think one of the things that does interest us, one of the things that interests us um, is social media and how we respond to um, information in the world around us. Um, Heidi and I, we use Facebook, you know, we both are on Twitter, uh, we use social media. But obviously, we're all aware that this information that we're sharing with social media companies is being used in a variety of ways. Um, and I do think that Jaffa Link starts to address some of those questions of um, what happens if you give tech giants control over your time, your attention, even your thoughts. Um, we enjoyed that one very much. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've already mentioned Terry Pratchett. What authors do you like to read? Yes, Terry Pratchett and, and Neil Gaiman. Obviously, we um, we kind of started there. Both both of us enjoy those those authors. Um, I, I do seek out comedy wherever I can find comedy novels. I always try them out um, just just to because because I love those things. I particularly love the Florida um, F- Florida crime novels of Carl Hyarson and all of the people that came after him. Yeah. Uh, Tim Tim Dorsey and and there's there's just loads of them, so we've we've um, we've had an eye on that for a while and we we do plan to emulate those with some future books. Absolutely, and I think because um, obviously we, we, as writers um, it's nice to read outside your own genre. Um, I, you know, I enjoy crime fiction as well. Love reading the Anne Cleves books. Um, and, and there are certain writers who come along that you just love to read their writing. I, I happen to like very much the, uh, the literary author, uh, Ian McEwan, um, who my wife detests utterly his writing. Not him, his writing. Um, so I'll, I'll be reading an Ian McEwan book and she'll say, what's happening in this book? And I'll say, nothing. Nothing has happened for 200 pages, but it's really good. Um, it's, uh, it's very enjoyable, just, just the flow of the writing is just fantastic. Yeah. So do you think going forward you'll continue writing in, with comedy or do you th- have you thought about writing on any, any other? I, um, I, I love comedy. I, it, it's perhaps this, this might be worth um, where, where we talk about the, the different things that we bring to our writing because um, people are quite often surprised at the fact that I, I tend to bring the slapstick stupidness. If, if anybody in our partnership writes like, um, you know, a prepubescent boy, it's me. Um, whereas Ian is the one who brings the cleverness, the slight geekiness. He likes to wrap things up and, and make them super clever and, and, you know, reference things at the beginning and, and make everything beautifully plotted. Whereas I, I like a chaotic romp. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so all, all the all the sort of um, religious stuff that, that that is researched for the Clovenhoof that that's all done by you, is it? Ian? Um, so um, my my day job from for much of my career has been an RE teacher. Um, so so teaching about religion to secondary school children, um, and which is which is a fantastic thing to do, discussing the big questions, the whys and the wherefore, and and I do love. I love philosophical questions, but I also love the, the weird idiosyncrasies about uh, religion. 
Um, and, you know, obviously the rich history, mostly of Christian tradition. Um, I was discussing the other day with a student, um, St. Nicholas, Father Christmas, Santa Claus. Yeah. And we were discussing um, how do we get from this saint to the person. And we came across one of um, St. Nicholas's most famous miracles in which um, an evil butcher had killed three boys, chopped them up and put them in a barrel where he was going to sell them as ham. Um, St. Nicholas comes along, and I remember reading this in the, it was a Wikipedia article, uh, resurrects the pickled boys um, and brings them back to life. And and it's just, it, it's, a, it's almost, a, I'm, I'm not going to knock anyone's Christian faith by saying this, but it, it's just a crazy story all by itself. It's a fantastically mm. um, illogical and unbelievable thing. And I think there's this such a rich and, uh, you know, varied and sometimes wild and outlandish history that goes with religion that, um, that you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I love sharing that. I love putting that in the, uh, in, in, in the books as well. So a lot of that comes from me, not all of it, but yes, a lot of yeah, it. Yeah. And what, what, do your, what do your pupils think of your books? I try not to tell them I'm a writer. Um, there's some rude words in the books and, 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 and I don't yeah. want, you know, young people to go out and buy these books and then point and go, did, did you write this rude word, sir? Um, yeah. So uh, we, we, you know, anyone asks me, I, you know, we do discuss it that I do write, but I do try and keep both those things separate. Yeah. Um, do you have any, any, any interest from, uh, you know, on TV or films or anything like that? We have, um, in the past, we sold the option uh, for Clovenhoof to um, a Hollywood production company. Yeah. Uh, sadly, they, they bought the option. They kept the option for a year, or was it two years? Yeah. And then it came back to us. So, so no, they had the vision, but they failed to get the, um, <laughs> the back in and the follow through. So. If, we were being, if we were being cynical, we would say that that was around about the time when the TV series Lucifer came out. Oh, yes. um, and, and you might argue that a panic had gone around Hollywood and everyone had kind of gone, oh, we must we must make TV programs about the devil. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, we had a lot of um, fun uh, discussing uh, the potential Clovenhoof TV series. Uh, with yeah. I always remember we were um, chatting. Uh, I can't remember whether it was with the producer or our agent at the time. And, and they said, I think it was the American producer. And she said, um, who do you see in this role? And we went, well, we've always, you know, this was back, this was a few years back. We fancied Gary Oldman in the role. He's got that kind of, you know, um, debauched rock and roll star kind of thing going on, Gary Oldman. Um, and we went, yeah, all right, fine. Conversation went away. Um, and then a few weeks later, someone comes back to us and kind of go, how much of this, you know, is Gary Oldman being in this a deal breaker for you? It had gone from, Gary Oldman being our dream cast member to to somebody somewhere thinking that we weren't going to do it unless Gary Oldman appeared in it. Um, <laughs> I'm fairly certain that Gary Oldman had never heard of us at all, never seen the script or anything like that. But you know, this, this, it's kind of like the rumor mill that goes round sort of thing. I, I just just it just occurred to me actually in the days of commuting pre March pre COVID, I used to have to do a, an hour and a half journey each way to Coventry, believe it or not. And I used to listen to, on the way back sometimes, to the BBC Radio 4 comedy programmes about 6.30. Um, I would have thought Clovenif would be an ideal one for that, as a, as a sort of play. Uh, it's interesting because um, I suppose one of our touchstones that we were aware of um, was um, Old Harry's Game, the Andy Hamilton sitcom, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in which he is Satan in hell. 
Um, and I think, you know, you know, obviously that's not been, there's not been any new episodes for quite a long time of that, but at the time found it very funny, very enjoyable. And he was a very good Satan. Um, yeah. and yes, yes. Cloven Hoop, the radio comedy is something as, as an idea has appealed to us. Definitely. Yeah. I, th- I think it worked very well now going, um, just for listeners who are writers and we get quite a few that are writers or authors, um, on your writing process, how, how long does it take you both to write? A book we can write a book in four months we um we don't always start and finish a book in four months because we we we, we tend to have several projects on the go at once yeah um but yes if if we if we do the chapter alternating chapter thing that we described earlier then then four months is quite doable in terms of actually writing, I, I guess, you know, it'll be different for both of you. So probably both of you would, would, would say on this, but what does your work, what does your day look like when you're writing? Do you write every day? Do you write a number of hours? Number of, how does it work? Because that's quite different, I think, for both of us. Um, I may uh, get up early, sit down and write for a couple of hours before going to work or whether I'm working on a certain day or not. Um get up, sit down and write for a couple of hours and usually aim to write about a thousand words a day. Obviously it's a thousand words that won't necessarily end up in the book, but it may be a thousand words a day. Well, you're quite different, aren't you, Heidi? Yes. So um, I now have two days a week, which are dedicated writing days. So on Mondays and Fridays, that's my writing day and everything else has to take a back seat. So I'll do most of my words in those days. The the other days of the week, because there are lots of other activities that, that we, we, we we haven't mentioned that we're independently published. So there are plenty of other things to do when you're independently published. So other days of the week is quite often when I'll tidy up some of those admin tasks or do other things that we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and any listeners that um, aren't currently writing, what would you suggest to them if they wanted to become an author? What advice would you give them? I think the writers group was a game changer for me. Absolutely. Um, the, the, the amount of feedback, the support, and, and just the shift in mental attitude that comes with uh, finding your peers. Yeah. So wherever you find them, you know, a writers group was, was where we found them. But, but since yeah. then, you know, an expanded network of writers on the internet, at conferences, we love going to conventions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you know for writers the number one thing i mean the the, the advice that i would offer is the, the advice you get from lots of people um which is first of all write just keep writing be always be writing uh, always be doing something always creating creating something reading and writing i think the other thing that perhaps people are less aware of is is a bit, a bit like you're saying about the writers groups and conventions is share your work let other people read your work um, you know, discuss your work with other people. Writers, we feel like we're a very solitary profession, that we're very alone. But actually, really, to be effective writers, you, you have to be quite a social creature and, yeah. and share your ideas and so on. Um, I think, I, I, mean, I don't know about you, Heidi, but I think when I first started writing, I was quite protective of the things I wrote. I wrote them. This is my idea. It's special to me. No, you can't look at it because you might steal it. Because actually, like like so many things, it's not actually the ideas that count, it's the execution. It's about how you go about sharing things, about how you go about crafting things. So getting involved with the wider writer community, finding people to read your work and just keep working at it um, is definitely um, really important. 
and and when you when you first did that and you and you shared some of your this is for both of you when when you shared your work with other people were you a bit concerned about the criticism that might come back if you find a good writers group actually the art of giving decent criticism is um is is something that you have to work on everybody has to work on it um but but birmingham writers group is i i believe it's the oldest writing group in birmingham and it's a lovely crowd of people so i never felt uh, exposed once I'd got the criticism, obviously the act of handing your work over for criticism is 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 something different. But but no, nobody was ever horrible. Everything is constructive. So you need to find yourself a crowd of people who will yeah. do that for you. Not just obviously big you up because they're you know related to you or what have you. No. It has to be criticism, but yeah. constructive criticism. Yeah. No, I, I find the same. I, I'm a I'm a brewer. I'm an amateur brewer, oh. and, and um, you give your best friends, you know, a couple of you. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Yeah. L- lovely. And you sort of say to him, well, you know, can you just tell me a bit about the astringency, the colour? And you go through these things and, well, I like it, you know, and well, thank you, but I'd, I'd like to know more. <laughs> yeah. But I've got one or two friends who will be very, very critical. Um, yeah. Bob, it's too bitter or, you mm. know, it's too sweet or I don't like it. Uh, and, and that's the way you learn, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think there's something as well to be said, um, certainly more so once you – become a published author and you, you go about the job of being an author is is being nice is, is a very underrated uh, quality. Um, be, being nice and playing well with others. Um, I can't remember which writer said it. Uh, I'd like to say it was Neil Gaiman, but I think it's probably somebody else actually, who said, uh, you, you know, there's three things. Um, there's, um, you, you need to be good at your job. Um, you need to be on time delivering your work and you need to be nice. And you can get away with two of them but not, you know, only having one of them. That actually being nice and being uh, cooperative and welcome, welcoming to others is a really valued quality in any kind of uh, creative activity. Actually, that work ethic thing, because we haven't spoken about this, the, the reason why our partnership has endured so well is because we both have a similar worth, work ethic. I, yeah. I can imagine, you know, trying to write something with other people uh, if they didn't share the same um, the same approach, the same professionalism, the same amount of time they're prepared to put in, it, it wouldn't work. And you would never get it delivered, would you? That's right. That's right. And uh, above all other things, I think that has has yeah. made our partnership endure. Yeah. Yeah. And how, I, I, you're both obviously um, family people. Mm-hmm. Um, how did how do your families react to uh, <laughs> your, your second your second careers? <laughs> Uh, perhaps we should mention spouse meal. We, yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, we kind of made a rod for our own backs with that, perhaps, didn't we? Um, yes, we did. That um, after we finished our first novel together, we took our respective other halves. So my wife, uh, Heidi's husband, we all went out for a meal together, and it's become a um, sort of like a tradition now that almost like as an apology for spending so much time with other people, you know, with with, our, with writers. Um, that, that every time we finish a book, we, we've promised to take them out for a slap-up meal of their choice. Um, yeah. But obviously, as the number of books we've written has gone up, and with the speed at which we turn them out, it's become quicker, we've kind of fallen behind, I think, to a degree, haven't we, Heidi? That depends if Ian, uh, if, if Simon and Amanda are listening. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> no, we're completely up to date. Yeah. It, um, so it could be could be one really big splash up meal. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that that's true. I mean, sometimes it does feel that like on uh, when we have these meals, out, our other halves try and drink all the profits, 
Um, it, uh, but no, I, I think that I think you know because writing, obviously, it, which has been wonderfully kind to us, but writing has the advantage of being a wonderfully cheap hobby. Um, so actually, you know, it keeps us out of trouble and well behaved and doesn't cost the earth. So that's quite just cool. just a just a few new typewriter ribbons every so. That's, often. that's exactly it. Yes, it's not a lot. It, it it's a laptop and a place to think. That's all you need. So you mentioned the novellas this year. What what other current up and coming projects that have you got that you'd like to tell our listeners about? So we, if you've got them, oh, we definitely do. <laughs> yes, we um we we are finishing uh, the other series that we haven't really spoken about. Odd jobs. Yeah, odd jobs. Yeah, so we um we we started a series. Uh, I think it's about four years ago called Odd Jobs. Um, in which uh, which follows the work of a government department that has to deal with all the the horrors and monsters and alien creatures that threaten our world. Um, and in that sense, it sounds a bit like Men in Black sort of thing. Um, we actually was taking our kind of um, I suppose our, our inspiration from uh, the kind of cosmic horror of the sort of H.P. Lovecraft novels. And you know, what would we do if horrible things with tentacles were going to reach out from the worlds below and try and cause? We wrote a series of novels, uh, the Odd Jobs books, about the government department based in Birmingham. We like Birmingham. Uh, and how they have to deal with the day-to-day goings-on of um, creatures that basically want to destroy our world. Um, and as Heidi uh, we're saying there, it's the fifth book, isn't it? Uh, we're, we're currently finishing off. It, um, so it, the fifth book in the series, which may very well feature the end of the world as we know it, um, yeah. which seems to be the wrong kind of topic to be writing about right now. Uh, but there we go. It, and that's, that's coming out this year? Or that's year? coming out in February 2000, well, 2021, yes. Um, but at the same time, we're working on another project, which I think, you know, is very close to Heidi's heart. Um, yes. So uh, we already mentioned that uh, I, I, we burn to emulate the uh, the Florida whack job crime novel uh, type of thing that Carl Hyacin writes. And yep. so we have written, we're, we're just finishing off a trilogy of crime novels. And because we wanted to make them a bit like those Florida crime novels but set in the uk we have decided that skegness is our florida so <laughs> skegness. Yeah. Skegness. so we got a, a crime trilogy set in skegness a comedy yeah. crime trilogy okay. are, are these novellas or, or full-length novels full-length novels yeah you've been very busy by the sound of it over the last few years oh yes we have yes i think i think this year with um the re-release of a book, The Woman in the Million Dollar Dress. I think that was, that was our 20th novel together. Um, so we, we have been busy and we've enjoyed it so very r- much. So roughly one, one, one book every, or two two books a year. That's kind of the speed we got up to. And I think with that, you know, I was talking about that collaborative writing. Um, although two people, you'd expect to work twice as fast as one person, I think two people working together do work faster than two people working separately. We have been very fortunate with the rate at which we've been able to produce the books that we've wanted to write. Um, so that's been, uh, what hap- one last question on the writing. What, what happens when one of you is very um, concerned about something that they want to put in the book and the other perhaps not so keen? How does that work? But it, I, mean, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, do you ever get conflict in views about how you want to see, how you want something to go? It happens, it happens, but perhaps less than you might imagine. There, um, 
we, we, we have uh, adopted, as, as a main rule, we've adopted the same one that I think Ben Elton and um, Richard Curtis used, where if somebody strikes a thing out of a, a piece of writing, the other person is not allowed to put it back in. Oh, right. Now, we, 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 yes, we've mostly stuck to that. <laughs> I broke that last week, didn't I? I broke that rule last week. Um, you did. Yeah, well, we'll that's the first time in 10 years I've, I put something back in, <laughs> not to actually have it back in the novel, but kind of went, here is a hole and something needs to fill it. Um, but, yes, we, 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 we get on ridiculously well. We probably don't fall out as much as uh, people should do, really. Um, yeah. But we do have the thing, because obviously Heidi mentioned what we bring to the books, and there is the element that um, sometimes I might look at something Heidi's bringing to a book and I kind of go, right, that's too stupid for words, okay? You know, a, a Yeti on a tricycle riding through the scene. Why? What's going on here? I don't understand. Um, and I might try and talk Heidi down from that. Um, at the same way, you know, Heidi quite rightly points out something and kind of go, that's too clever for its own good. It's smug. It's self-satisfied, and you know, and we learn to recognise that we can spot each other's flaws to a degree. Yeah, no, it sounds like you've got a very good partnership going there on that. So, where can people find out more about your work? The if if they wanted to properly keep on top of what we're doing, they might go to pigeonparkpress.com, which is our website, and sign up for our newsletter. Um, if you wanted to dip in a little bit more informally, then we, we have a Facebook group, actually, which we, tr we try not to shout about our own work too much. It's called The Comedy Kitchen, and that's a place where we, 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 we discuss other people's comedy novels more than we discuss our own because we, yeah. we, we just love anything funny and share jokes and things like that. Yeah, I'll put I'll put all those um, details in the show notes so people can uh, make contact with you and have a look and see what you're doing. Fantastic, thank yeah. you. So it's been great having you. Was there anything else you wanted to say or tell listeners before we wrap up? I'm going to say that as a no. Uh, no <laughs> <laughs> really enjoyed talking to you. Actually, it's always good to just um, not just to hear the sound of our own voices, but actually to reflect on what we've done and why we do it and how we do it. And it, it's always nice to have a chat about this. Very much so. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. You have been listening to Undercurrent Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family. And if you have 60 seconds, I will be most grateful if you would please rate and review. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best.